0: When I when I'm talking to somebody now, when I sort of strike up a bit of common ground and if I if I really like them and think they'll be amazing, I start to put them off. And mm. I don't I don't, know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but I start talking to them and I think, and then I start to like give them a, a realistic view of the day, what it looks yeah. like, and you'd come in and you do this and you do that, and then I, then I start to put them off because I I not try and break them, but I don't want them to come in under any sort of false pretences of us being something that we're not. Mm.
1: Um, I think you're right, it's, and it's the first time I experienced it when I came to Spectrum. Is during the interview process, almost pushing back on the on the candidate to say, you do realise it involves X, and you're going to have to do this, and it's going to be hard, and you know we've got high standards, and. My, my initial impression was why the hell would you do that but then <laughs> two years in i think i understand why we do that because yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. the acid test in it it that's, is
2: that's what it is it's, it's someone still interested after. Area.
1: welcome to the podcast glenn halliwell from principal it thank you very much um, so, for Watchers listeners, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah, so I'm Glenn Hello, I'm from Prince IT. I'm a Managing Director of a Specialist IT recruitment firm here in Hull. Um, started off, well, started my own business, decided to take the punch to start my own business in January 2021, post-pandemic. Um, I spent the full pandemic working for home, and then sort of decided, why am I doing this for somebody else? need to go and do it for myself so took and went off and did it Sought investment for bigger recruitment business okay and then off we went and two years later
1: doing all right yeah not doing bad, <laughs> fair. Not doing bad. we're getting there we've we've
2: we've gone from sort of absolutely enough in a standing start to to getting to the point where we are now looking for four five six recruiters um, wow. if we can get hold of them so funny enough finding recruiters is as hard as finding technical staff at the minute
1: yeah them. And I'll, so, you, do you specialize in IT digital tech? Yeah, so we only do IT okay. uh,
2: digital tech recruitment. That's, that's all I've ever done. Okay. Um, to be fair, I think you, you need to be very good at one thing in recruitment rather yeah. than trying to do six, seven, eight different things.
1: Okay. Um, so, whenever we get a recruiter on, it's always interesting to get a view from the market. I guess in terms of how how hot the tech market is for recruitment at the minute. Um, so, yeah, how would you sum it up? Certainly, versus where we were maybe twelve, eighteen months ago.
2: Um, I think the marketing recruitment is always a bit of a roller coaster, really. To be honest with you, I think when you're sort of in the economic state we're in, it's not as booming as it was 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will always be a demand for good people, um, and finding good people is is what pay, we pay recruiters for. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say we're absolutely fine like we were 12 months ago in these six, seven, eight, nine, ten vacancies. That we're working on at once but at the same time it's not quiet okay <laughs> and a lot of the time with IT recruitment is you don't necessarily have to have a job on to be able to get a candidate in somewhere okay become being a specialist if I come across a candidate that's got a certain set of skills I'll still send them to
1: pick the phone and i
2: will know we'll, we'll have a look at the CV and then it will get going from there so yeah,
1: yeah. okay Um. One of the things I wanted to ask you about might be going too deep too quick, but we'll find out. So the ethics of recruitment, because you you know you'll be moving candidates from one company to another, and what's your view in terms of that, and moving candidates back and back and forth between the same business, and then you taking a margin? (laughs) what's your response to that? That
2: straight in there, isn't it? It it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I think to be honest, my my view on it is every client I work with, the the main thing and, and. Sally would back me up on this one as well. He's honesty with everybody and, mm-hmm. and having an open conversation. So generally, um, I won't go out of my way to start pilfering clients. If one of their staff applies for a role I've put online, yeah. I'm not going to not speak to that person because they've approached me. But then being able to have that honest conversation afterwards with that company that they've potentially left and gone somewhere else mm. always helps to have that good, open, honest relationship. And... I mean, to be honest, when it has happened, because the, co- the the person's applied and come to me and I've not gone out of my way to start pilfering their staff, mm-hmm. it's very much, well, why is that person looked to leave? What conversations they had with you? What point did we get to where this person's applying for new roles and looking to leave? And that's when the point where we sort of say, well, yeah, let's have a conversation about what that is and what's been said in the exit interview and see if there's something we can do differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one thing that is a big no-no, which some recruiters do do, is play a little chess match of, right, I'll put them there for two years, yeah. and then I'll wait two years, and I'll ring them, and then I'll put them back over there for another yeah. two years, and I'll wait. It's just going to come back and bite you. Mm-hmm. And it's not... I, I, I wouldn't do it personally. Um, but if I get approached by a candidate that's looking to leave somewhere, they're going to be applying with other recruiters. Yeah,
1: so that's so your job. At, the end of the, at
2: that yeah. point, you sort of go... Sort of, Fair game is it? Is it worth? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you have that conversation with the client afterwards and see where it goes from there.
1: You touched on an interesting point there around um, employer branding and, and making a place a great place to work and making people aware that it's a great place to work as well. So, have you got any good examples? I don't have to name the business, but good examples of where organisations you think have got a really strong <coughs> employer brand and and where do you think how do, how have they achieved that?
2: I mean. For, for me, a lot of the businesses that have got a good employer brand in employ for what I would call the will rather than the skill. So it's quite easy to to take the best person that's the best technically gifted person mm. and put them in somewhere. But if they're going to upset the apple cart with everybody else, it's going to quickly de-escalate. It's going to quickly escalate and people aren't going to be happy there. Mm. Whereas the best businesses I recruit for will always stick to their, their ethos of their their dna as a business of who they want to work there and then add the skill on afterwards i mean we we was having a conversation earlier about a a certain business in Hull that will not be able to find the technical skills they need in and around the area because it's that niche Mm. but what they will do is they'll hire people that fit within their business and then off the back of that teach them the technical skills and then everybody's in the same boat Mm. then
0: we do some of that i think Mm. that comes back to cultural fit and culture's massive yeah. and i think if you if you get the right person some of the skill can be taught and trained yeah you, um,
2: you, you can teach you can teach people new stills new skills but you can't teach someone a new personality, personality. or a new, yeah, a yeah. New it's sort like of what you
0: said about the work, will yeah. so they have to want it yeah,
1: yeah.
0: to make it work
1: and uh, yeah I, I get that and i think we we do a bit of that we have a mold of individual that we like to recruit that we think will fit into the culture of the organization um is there, is there a risk, though, with that, that you end up just with copies of the same type of individual and you don't have that kind of diversity of thought and diversity of individual?
2: No, I think what people perceive as one thing, people perceive things differently. Mm. So I think a, very, a mixed bag of people is, is always a good a, a, the best way to do it because you get the, the broad spectrum of, of people within your business that have got different views on things. But I think that if you've got everybody pulling in the same direction, mm. one person will perceive one area or one value as something, whereas my perception of that area and value would be something different. Mm. So I don't think you would end up with carbon copies of, of, of everybody else, because yes, we've all got the same values and morals and stuff like that, but the perception of them is completely different. Yeah, okay. The, the main thing is is getting everybody pulling in the right direction towards a common goal and everyone being motivated by similar factors mm. is, is what I've found.
1: And do you work with clients on that? Um, employer branding and retention schemes as well as recruitment? Or is, is your, are you quite specific to kind of moving, moving heads?
2: I think if if there's a client that is having a lot of people leave, or mm. there's a certain um, reputation that, that's coming from candidates, that's mm. a conversation to be had with clients. And, and I do do that to be yeah. fair, of, of give that honest feedback and good honest feedback of why people are A, not wanting to go and work somewhere or B, are always leaving. Sometimes that feedback is welcomed, Mm. sometimes it's not, (laughs) do you know Mm. what I mean? But they are conversations, I think, as a recruiter, it's not just sort of farm CV, send CV, Mm. place candidate, walk away. You do have to add value nowadays and you do have to bring something else to the table. Mm. And I think a lot of the more successful recruiters nowadays are able to have them conversations with their clients because of the the, um, relationship they've got with them, to be fair, and that's what, what I'm always trying to work towards.
1: I'll just just step back a minute to what you said around um you know people should recruit for that but I guess the personality of the individual as opposed to the technical skill set what does that mean for the CV because you can't get someone's personality from a CV all you can get is their technical and knowledge and experience I guess and that that has been the mechanism for recruiting people for many many years isn't it
2: so there has got to be at least some base knowledge of certain technologies within a cv and you're looking with transferable skills within that so when i'm recruiting for a certain developer for that business Mm. i know if i see someone with certain javascript frameworks on there or Mm. certain front-end technologies and back-end technologies on there Mm. they'll be able to pick their actual technology up quite quickly Mm. i wouldn't send somebody that's I, i don't know a and a systems engineer or an IT infrastructure person because you put them in front of a load of code and they'll go, What's this? Yeah. Okay. Well, when it comes to recruiting for developers, the different development languages is just different syntax. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. They, they all do the same job and they all do pretty similar jobs. It's just a different way of writing. It's for me, the way I sort of to put it in a layman's terms is PHP and is like the difference between speaking English and French. mm mm-hmm they just they're a different way of communicating but they do the same job eventually yeah Um, so when it comes to recruiting for that particular company um, yes they need developers that have worked with probably javascript typescript react those type of technologies but at the same time need people that are going to fit within their
1: business Mm. what about you Sal so when when a is the CV still the primary mechanism for you assessing initially at least whether that yeah it's like the foundations
0: you look at the CV and then see if it's got the foundations of what you're looking for then if it's a CV that like if you've sent something over to me I'll give you a call or an email and say tell me a bit more Mm. you know and you you sort of try to do a little bit of character building based on the foundations that you've read Mm. and then build up a bit of a, a picture but I suppose again that comes down to opinion you know as, as well and just the honesty i think is massive and mm. um, that always helps and then with feedback again you know once we've had a conversation yeah. with somebody off we've met someone and then told them about the role um i think we need to be honest with yeah. you and give you the reasons as to you know why they've not been selected or
2: yeah and these these times where i have sent CVs to you guys and it's been i've picked up the phone and gone right this person's a bit from left field but bear with me on this. Mm. This is the reason why I've sent this person mm. because of X, Y, and Z. And then they've generally been invited in and they've smashed their interview and you've, yeah, gone, you've yeah. got that. Yeah, mm. but if you'd have took one glance at the CV and not spoken to that person, mm.
1: you probably wouldn't have even looked at it again.
0: Which has happened before because mm. we love a wild card.
1: We do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's the role yeah. of the recruiter and that's the value that you you add is going beyond the CV and understanding the personality and then matching that up with With the recruiter and and
2: understanding your client yeah as well understanding their um their culture and their Mm. fit and their team and Mm. if someone's going to fit in with that and and that's that's massive for a lot of people i mean it it gets a little bit more diluted when you start working with larger businesses because when you start working with national businesses Mm. and international businesses it becomes a lot less important because they'll have less interaction on a daily basis with people they work with especially if we're remote roles and stuff mm-hmm. um, but when it is very much for sort of businesses where they need to be in the office three days a week you spend most of your time at work mm. you spend more time at work than you do at home yeah, yeah. generally so you need to be able to get on with the people you work with and yeah there's, there's nothing worse than not getting on the people with the people you work with
1: i completely agree i'll, I'll flip my question earlier around employer brand what i said what makes a good employer brand in your experience? What, there's, there's obviously experiences you've got of bad employer brands, I guess, without naming names. But what what, what are the common themes around those those organizations? What's, What creates that kind of negative employer brand?
2: I think it's when an employer doesn't understand what, a, what their brand is or understand a brand. So I've spoken to people who've gone, oh, this is a great place to work. Uh, we've got free fruit and free coffee and this and that and the other. You start going, Well, yeah, but what 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 you what's your brand? Mm. Well, I've just told you. Well, no, that's not your brand. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got some fruit in the kitchen. That doesn't mean like yeah. that's not your brand as a business and what you are. Like what and a lot of the a lot of the times when I speak to clients and candidates and stuff, it's very much about what their why is mm. and matching up the whys and stuff. Um so obviously if you if you've got a client that sort of says, Oh, we work loads of hours Yeah because we want to get to this goal, and we want to get to this point, and the reason we're doing that is because of X, Y, and Z, and I then speak to a candidate that then goes, oh, well, I've got four kids, and I'll only work from this, my hours, and I'll only stick to what my job is. You sort mm-hmm. of then go, well, your Y why is your kids, and that's that's why you're coming to work and stuff, and that's the bigger part of your life than work. Yeah, They're probably not gonna be a good match, but then if you've got someone who's really ambitious and wants to get to the point where they're at the top of their field, mm-hmm. and will get to that point, that's what their why is. So then that business would be quite a good match. So I think a lot of the time with, with employer branding, it's for it's a lot, it's really hard to look inwards with mm. anything, mm. especially when you've got a business. I know that from starting my own business. And trying to get employees to look inward to go, well, what 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 who are you? Mm. What am I selling to a what am I selling to a candidate? Why would someone want to come and work here? And honestly, the amount of times I get, well, it's great working here. We've got this over there and we've got free mm-hmm. coffee and we've got that. Yeah, but what? Why, why are you doing what you do? And then you get into it and then they build a brand from that. And mm-hmm. that's generally the way I do it, to be honest with you. And
1: then match your Just jumping in to talk about one of the processes that we often get asked to automate, which is the processing of supplier invoices, also known as accounts payable automation. So what does that mean? Well, most businesses receive invoices from their suppliers and a lot of businesses still have people that are manually reviewing those invoices, making sure that they're correct, making sure they're accurate, and then manually rekeying them into a finance system or an ERP system. Well, our solution can automate that process. So typically an invoice will come in, we'll use capture technology to understand what's on that invoice. We'll then match that data up against good receive note to make sure that we've received the product. We'll match it up against purchase order data to make sure that somebody has placed an order for that product. And ultimately, if we can match that up, we can automatically push that into an ERP system or finance system. And nobody has to touch it. How good does that sound? If there are exceptions, if there are things that need to be checked, that's fine. We can use digital workflow to push that to somebody to eyeball it and say, is this correct or does something need to change? Ultimately, though, that can then be pushed again into an ERP system or a finance system. This is about making your life easier. It's about making operations as quick and as efficient as possible. And we do that all the time. If that sounds interesting, then get in touch. That's enough from me. Back to the podcast.
0: When, I, when I'm talking to somebody, now, when I sort of strike up a bit of common ground and if I if I really like them and think they'll be amazing, I start to put them off. And mm. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. But I start talking to them and I think, and then I start to like give them a, a realistic view of the day of what it yeah. looks like. And you'd come in and you do this and you do that. And then I, then I start to put them off because I, I don't try and break them, but I don't want them to come in under any sort of false pretenses of us being something that we're not. Mm. Um,
1: I think you're right. It's And it's the first time I experienced it when I came to Spectrum is during the interview process, almost pushing back on the on the candidate to say, you do realise it involves X and you're going to have to do this and it's going to be hard and you know we've got high standards and my, my initial impression was why the hell would you do that but then <laughs> two years in I think I understand why we do that because yeah.
2: it's yeah. the acid test in it, it, it is. That's, that's what it is It's, it's someone's still interested after hearing because yeah. it's, it's really easy to sort of look at all the positive things mm. but we all know everybody has bad days at work everybody has bad days at work no matter what what mm. profession you're in and i think sometimes in the interview process if you can sort of look at what a bad day would look like and how that candidate reacts you then mm. sort of get a bit of an insight into how they're going to react when it has been a day where everything that you could think of has gone wrong yeah do you know what i yeah, mean absolutely
1: yeah it, it's true and you don't want to be having a difficult conversation to you in, in three months time saying this isn't this isn't right and yeah. it's better to have that conversation in an interview and, and flush that out at that point in time yeah
0: it's, it's gauging their commitment as well yeah. Yeah. to yeah, you because you, you want to know how much they want to be here,
1: yeah,
0: which is important.
1: Do, do you see many candidates leaving an organisation for less money because of the employer brand or maybe you know the employer exper- employee experience, I guess?
2: There has been, I have had cases of that in the last 12 months, yeah, right. of people saying I just need to get out of here. Mm. And I mean... It's not for massive amounts. It's not like yeah. people haven't took 10, 12 grand pay cuts. But I have seen people either go for the same money yeah, or leave for two or three grand less than what they're already on. right? Um, but there's always, there's, there's always a negotiation in there when that happens where yeah. it's like, well, we'll start you on this and then after six months we'll review it and then go up to this and stuff like that. And mm. the amount of people that I get then saying, well, put that in writing... Because that's what I got told when I come here. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's the same. But I mean, when someone starts looking for a new job, especially within the first, I'd say, two years, something at some point in that journey has gone wrong. Mm. Because I know, I know, it's not like twenty years ago people would work at places all their life. They'd leave school, they'd get an apprenticeship, they'd work their way up. Yeah, and then they'd leave after twenty five years. I think them days are completely gone now to be completely honest i don't think you'll see many people staying in the same business for 25 30 years and then drawing the pension down and going into the sunset yeah um but if inside the first two 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 and a half years somebody's looking to leave you've got to look at that as well something's gone wrong there. Mm-hmm. because the first six months you're getting to know everything and you're getting to know the system you're getting to know what's going on you're getting to know who's where and what's in the hierarchy and all the rest of it and then the next six months, which takes you up to 12 months, you're just about getting the hang of it. Mm. And then in your second 12 months, you are probably adding value. high in value and adding value to the business. Yeah. So in that second 12 months, there's one or two things happening. Either A, the work isn't what you were told it was, and it's not challenging and you don't feel challenged. Mm. Or B, you don't feel you're being rewarded. Mm. So which of those two, which of those two camps do you fall in? And that's the way I've always sort of looked at it with people leaving in the first couple of years mm.
1: I like it what about um, generational differences presumably you're placing candidates of all ages and, and, and generations uh, are you seeing a, a difference in what people want you know younger younger kids coming out of university with a couple of years experience they look at different things than 45 year old developers
2: yeah I think the the more experienced the developer the more sort of streetwise they are as it were they, they mm. know that they know what the value is they know where they're at they know how much value they can add to a business they know what the skills are they know what the market's like mm. and it's an easier conversation to have because they know what salaries are doing yeah with with the less experienced people sometimes there needs to be a bit of a reality check there of you want how much <laughs> <laughs> I've spoke to students that have just left university and I've told you about this a few times i yeah. that I spoke to a guy that had literally just finished his master's mm. and I was like, right, so, so where have you worked before? And he was, he was like, well, I've noticed when I'm looking for my first job out of uni, my first developer job at uni. Okay, yeah. that's fine. What was salary salary you looking for? Oh, what? Wow. <laughs> Eight, 85. Wow. <laughs> 85, 85,000. <000. laughs> it was like, yeah. I was like, who's told you can get that? Oh, well, I've, I've got a master's, right? You're not going to get 85 grand. <laughs> And, and the conversation you have to have then is very much sort of you learn how to drive after you pass your test. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. you, you're going to go into the real world now, mate, and you're not going to get 85 grand. And I think with, with especially sort of what's happened recently in the world with COVID and all the rest of it, there's lots of people out there now that are going, right, I want X amount of thousands of pounds a year straight out of uni. And I want hundred percent remote working mm. You, for me the biggest mistake anybody could make is come straight out of uni and go straight to 100% remote. Mm, I 100% agree. Because you're not going to learn anything sat at home. Yeah. You're going to learn the ways that things are done in the real world Mm. outside of education by sitting next to that dev that's got 15-20 years experience by sitting next to that infrastructure engineer that's got 15-20 years experience Mm. and trying to get that across to people Mm. and trying to tell them look you're going to get more out of going to the office every day and paying your dues and earning that until you get to that next one and the problem you have with the more junior guys is is they want the job after this job Mm. rather than this job that's in front of them right now
0: yeah that's a worry I think for us when we when we recruit graduates and they're and they're in and we want to keep them we don't want to lose them Mm. so we don't want to be like a stepping stone there's yeah, a huge disconnect between
2: people. education and enterprise for me mm. Mm. massive disconnect i mean you get people that'll go on a software computer science course and get told oh yeah when you get when you complete this computer science course you'll have rockstar games you'll have mm. this gaming company coming after you and you'll be working on the next grand theft auto or <laughs> you'll be developing the next fifa and stuff like that that just isn't how it works that's not what what happens in the real world and. I think a lot of the time that is what's sold to people when they go on them courses is that, or you'll be able to work 100% remote or you'll go and get a job in Silicon Valley.
1: Mm. Do you think, I was gonna ask, where where is that perception coming from that a grad with a master's will get 85 grand? Is that from university or are they, is that stuff they're reading online? I or? don't know
2: is the yeah. honest answer to that one. I don't know if it's stuff they're reading online or whether it's 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 stuff that's being said to them at university or, or what I mean. There are handfuls of people that I've known have done stuff mm. like that. I mean, there's, there's just, especially within, I mean, I know we keep going back to development. I recruit for a lot more than developers, yeah, yeah. but development is probably the main one at the moment where people are struggling. I think we've, there's the odd developer that are just, they just get it mm. and they're, they're really good at it. And I mean, I have known contractors, for example, there was one of my contractors who at 22 years old was still living at home with his mum and dad and we earning 700 pound a day mm. Yeah, because he went in somewhere yeah and just knew it and just coded and was just unreal
1: yeah
2: but then for, for people coming through that haven't got that high level skill set they need somewhere to go and still learn mm. after they've left after they've left. it's like the, like the analogy i used earlier you learn how to drive after you pass your test
1: yeah no you're absolutely spot on
2: just because yeah. you pass your driving test doesn't mean you can go and drive already mm. do you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's it's sort of that sort of that that's the way i'm looking at it but i've got no idea where the perception is coming from
1: what what is that gap you think in terms of um, university and an enterprise? What what's the missing pieces from when grads come out of university and go into enterprise? Where are you seeing the gap?
2: Personally, I don't. From the conversation I'm having with grads and stuff at the moment, I think that the the actual the subject matter that, that they learn within university is a little bit behind the times in enterprise yeah so a lot of the stuff they're learning on computer science courses and stuff at the moment from what i know of are very much legacy systems and legacy yeah. coding ways so they think they're still doing stuff like c plus plus and yeah, yeah. all that type of stuff when i don't if i see a c plus plus job come up i know it's going to be tough to recruit for because everyone's going to go i don't want to work on old stuff mm. i want to work on new stuff yeah and these very rare area of, of graduates working on stuff like react javascripts um, I mean even some of them have started doing iOS development and it's nobody does iOS anymore mm. it's all done yeah. through web applications for mobile and if you're doing native apps and it's not generally built in iOS or Android anymore it's built within something that will be cross-platform because mm. it's more sort of cheaper to do so I think the main disconnect is, is the actual subject matter of what they're learning mm. in university sometimes
0: it's too broad as well yeah so the amount of people I've spoken to have said I want to do something in business, but I'm not sure what. Yeah. And then I think, well, that's massive. Mm. Where do you start? I like the idea of business. I've I've got a degree in business, but I'm not sure what I want to do. And I'm thinking, so that is where our gaps appear, where we look for commercial awareness, yeah. business acumen, common sense, how to talk to customers. You can't teach common communication. I know. So. Uh, you can't and, teach uh, com- <laughs> no, we've got the common sense. that's that where our softer skills. Stuff comes in that mm. we do that will be gone here. And that that sometimes bridges a bit of a gap. But they have to be willing as well mm. again to, to want to do it.
2: Some of the some of the best people I've placed are self taught. Honestly, some of the best people I work with are mm. self taught. I mean, I I left school with no I left school with no GCSEs, nothing. Yeah. And if you said to my head teacher, however oh, long ago it was I left school too long ago to remember now. It, by the time he's in his mid 30s he'll be uh, he'll be running <laughs> that the way we look at
0: you? an
2: almost million pound recruitment business they laughed at you yeah because they've gone in mm. over there behind the bike shed smoking <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean that's, that's but I've done that through learning yeah
1: yeah. Because you're obviously very knowledgeable about that tech I'm, I'm assuming you're not, you're not a coder by background I've tried coding my laptop nearly went out of it <laughs> I can't do it I, I know what I know what technologies do yeah I you know enough
2: I find I'm fascinated by how they work and how things work and stuff and I always have been yeah um, but no, I can't I've, I've tried it before but one thing I have done is really pushed my kids into right trying to get them to do technical stuff but it's, it's done in schools now in school mm. they learn how to do code and stuff. I mean, my eldest is in, he's doing his GCSEs this year, but he, he came home the other week and he was like, oh yeah, we've been doing this thing, is it JavaScript? Yeah. So I've heard you talking about that at work, dad. I was like, yeah, we we're doing it at school. God, I wish I could have done that at school. I mean, I want to listen I was at school, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it's good to see that they're actually doing stuff in school now mm. to do with technology and with business and stuff. Mm. But when it comes to the other stuff you're looking at, like when you're recruiting for business and commercial, you're better off learning from mistakes in that. Yeah. And making mistakes in that than reading a book. And the amount of mistakes I've made in the first two years of actually running a business is unreal.
1: Let me ask you about that. Cause I'm sure there's lots of people that have thought about starting their own business. So what's the, we'll start with the successes. What What's worked far, far better than you ever expected when you set the business up? Um, I
2: think I underestimated how much my personal reputation would count when it came to starting my own business. Mm. The amount of people that have come to me and gone, we want to just work, we don't care what where you're working, we want to work with you, mm. Yeah, has um, been massive. Um, I think that working, whenever you start, starting something's really difficult, but then maintaining momentum is even harder. So getting the momentum going is really hard, but then keeping that ball rolling yeah. is, is really difficult. Um, so I think the things that work really well are, are just, just honestly hard work, yeah, and just picking the phone up and and being relentless, and that's what's what's worked well for us in the first two years. What's not gone so well, um, probably I've been my own worst enemy and not recognised when I've been absolutely exhausted mm. and burnt out. Um, I was, I think, back end of last year. Well, to be fair, I had my first week off Easter week this year. Right. Since January 2021. Wow. And that was the first week where I'd not looked at emails. Yeah. I'd not answered my phone. I went away with the kids. I did stuff with the family. I went to the whole derby with my lad. Didn't look at my phone. Didn't look at my work WhatsApps. Didn't look at my emails. Nothing. And that's the first week I've done that for over two years. And I did get a shout with that. <laughs> I continually, I mean, even when we go on holiday and stuff and I'm sat next to the pool and I'm responding to emails and yeah. stuff like that. And my missus is threatening to lob my, lob my phone in the pool because, but then it's, it's a bit of a catch 22 because you want a certain sort and of, you sort of sit there and go, well, the reason we're on this holiday is because I'm sending these emails, yeah, do you yeah. know what yeah. I mean? So it's, yeah. it's an hard one to balance when you first start, but.
1: Was it difficult not to look at your emails for that week? Or because of, of learned behaviour, it's just what you do, or. Yeah, the first, easy? the
2: first two days, yeah, yeah it was like, know, what if this has happened or what yeah. if that has happened?
1: Um, but
2: one, the best thing I did was turn my notifications off mm-hmm. and I didn't cause usually when I've got my emails at the bottom of my phone and I see like the red number on it, it's in my head, right? I need to read that, mm-hmm. but I turned all that off and I removed it from my home screen on my computer, on my phone, knowing that if I can't see it, it's out of sight, out of yeah. mind. But yeah, the first two days I was like, I've got to check my emails <laughs> and then I'd just go off and do something else around yeah. the house or i take the kids out or whatever, just to take my mind off it. Um, the worst one was when my phone rang and it was one of like my candidates and stuff, but I was like I'm not answering it because they've my team have got my hand over, they can deal with it for this okay. week. And funnily enough, I come back and the world wasn't on fire. Yeah. The business hadn't the business hadn't collapsed. Yeah. Nobody died. That's it. And
1: yeah. I've I've sort of learnt now that I need to. And you probably empowered point. your team to be able to do more in the future as well. Yeah. And
2: funny enough, they had their best ever month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After doing that as there well, <laughs> so it was it was a good thing to do, but it's a scary thing to do when you first start. And that's probably been the hardest learned for me is that you need to know when to give yourself a break.
1: Yeah. Love it. Um, what What about technology in terms of your sector? So recruitment uh, is is technology changing it, and if so, how?
2: Oh, massively. Um, so when I First started Principal IT, I had a very much of a vision of I'm going to invest in the the best tech to make our jobs easier. Hmm. I don't want a big shiny office somewhere or anything like that. We're going to invest in the best tech that we're going to get a return on investment on. Um, So we invested in artificial intelligence technology for um, recruiting. Right. So basically we've got this piece of software that plugs into all our job boards. So back in the day when we were all dinosaurs in, in recruitment, we had... Three separate job boards, for example. So if you sign up to Read CV Library, Monster, whichever, you got access to their CV databases. You had to build your own Boolean searches, which was like brackets dot mm. net or this hyphen that da da da, and you'd have to put that in three separate job boards and search all them three separate job boards separately mm. on web browsers. You'd have 15 different windows open, <laughs> all searching different CVs. Mm. What our technology does is it plugs into all our job boards at once. And then, say, for instance, if I put infrastructure engineer into my um, AI software, it will then search infrastructure engineer or infrastructure duh, 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 or this or that. And then, if I put the skills in, it will build out the billion search for me. Right. And then it will search Whatever. all three of my job boards at once. But then, what we can do from that is we can set up a recurring search where it will then do that search on the hour, every hour. For as long as you leave it running mm. so we get all the best candidates as soon as you upload the cv yeah. or apply for a job somewhere we get an alert to say this person's now active or that person's now active and that also plugs into our linkedin recruiter license so it will continually do the searches on linkedin so if somebody says i'm open to work we get a notification to say this person's open to work
1: and then you're picking the phone up trying to place them yeah i like it it's
2: made if I had that technology ten years ago, I'd be retired by now.
1: Really, it's unreal. Do you think unreal. you're ahead of the market, or of other recruiters got similar setups?
2: So we was actually on the beta test, right? For that AI software, okay. And we've we've signed up for five years. Um, I think, I think when I mean I, a lot of the bigger recruiters will be using it. I think when it comes to working around in and around Hull. The reason we've been able to, to corner a lot of the market and get a lot of the stuff on exclusive mm. is speed mm. and how quickly we can find people. Um, and that's all down to that software. And I think, again, when you are starting a business, it's quite easy to go, I'm gonna go and get in that big push office over there and look like we're doing well and, and all the rest of it. Whereas what we did is, is we've made a quite a strategic partnership with C4DI. So we're there, um, Preferred recruitment partner. We run all their job boards and stuff for them, but also on the back of that, we decided to go into their co-working space. Mm. So we're in their co-working space twice a week. We run all C4DI's job boards, so we can speak to all the the, the companies and stuff in there, which has been massive for us for the first two years. um But also, with then, because we've not gone and spent stuff on offices and all the rest of it, mm. been able to put it somewhere where you're actually going to get a return. Yeah, which is easy the best way to do it for me
1: sounds like a good bit of kit well our, our podcast is called tomorrow's workplace today so we always ask each guest to cast their mind forward 10 years and describe what they think the workplace will look like in in 10 years time so over to you
2: uh i think i think COVID accelerated tomorrow's workplace today to be completely mm-hmm. honest because it was heading the remote working way yeah um I think that there will be quite a lot of remote working or a lot more remote working in the future, which I'm not a massive fan of, but that's that's the way things are going, I think to be completely honest with you. Um, and I think there'll be a lot more personality based employees, employees going into places. So there'll be a lot more psychometric testing and stuff like that in place for people getting roles for not just sales and stuff where you put psychometric testing in, I think people across businesses now will be getting the psychometric side of things and and looking at personalities as well as skill and will. I feel Mm. there'll be a lot more of that because there's a lot of skills coming into the market now. There's a lot more skills that are, it's never gonna be diluted within technology because it's it's always gonna be a candidate-driven market for me. Mm. But at the same time, companies will wanna employ people that are people, not just robots banging out code.
1: Just on the remote working, because I, I find it fascinating. I mean, you're almost held up as a criminal on LinkedIn if you post the fact that you're actually not sure about remote working. Yeah. Um, but for me, as you said earlier on, you know, there are there are some benefits to it. Don't get me wrong, and I can see doing it a, a day a week, two days a week has definite benefits. But for new people, new starters, grads, I, I don't think they get what they need from working from home. And are uh, business is not not seeing that cuz I feel like we are. I'm surprised that others aren't.
2: I think again it's the, it's on the on the level of the candidate you're employing. Mm. Um like you say with grads and stuff, companies are saying hybrid. Yeah. Okay. I I don't think we're going to go to an I mean, my opinions changed on this quite a bit over the last couple of years, but I don't think it's ever going to be feasible for there to be 100% remote working. Mm. I think the best model is hybrid, yeah, where you get the best of both worlds. But the hybrid model for me would only work with flexibility. So rather than saying to someone, "You have to be in Monday and Wednesday," mm. have to be,
0: no.
2: that that's not hybrid working. Hybrid working is you have to be in two days a week, mm. which two days are up to you. Which is why I with my guys, we we work two days a week in C4D. Right. So. I always say to them on a month, on a Sunday night, Friday night, whenever it is, I'll send a WhatsApp out and I'll go, what days are we doing in the office next week?
1: Okay. And we'll all work around each other. So you're all in together? We well, we're all off on, together? On one of the days we're all in together.
2: Okay. Because there's times where we have to sit down and go through pipeline and sales meeting and all that yeah, type of yeah. stuff. But then the other day, whichever day you want, as long as at least two days a week, you're in the office. Yeah. Okay. But We, that's we what, do that, don't we? We do. We yeah.
0: do that advocates for the flexibility and i think you were right about what you said about accelerating the hybrid working arrangement post covid but we had to do an awful lot of educating with some of our managers where some of it was still of the old school mentality where they are thinking it's like a nine to five or and there still are some aspects of this business with you know with calls and customer calls and customer needs where we need to provide that cover but i think because of the team structure and the sizes and the the teams that we've got the flexibility is there mm. but again the emphasis is on the the employee to sort of say you know, to meet the needs of the business or to come in for like a, a sprint meeting or a, a team meeting but then let us know what days you're going to be at home and so far that seems to be working well. yeah
1: i think it's organization and getting yeah. like we work in Scrum team so it's getting your scrum team in on specific days, so that you can do your sprint ceremonies, etc. And then, when in the middle of the sprint, disappear off home and mm. you're on, you're yeah. remote. That's fine, but it just needs a bit of structure, and a bit of thought to it.
2: I think it's a different skill managing remotely as well. Yeah, agreed. It is. It's, it is it's, it's that's a, where we complete,
0: to educate some of our own.
2: Because when I first started doing it, it, was like, do I do I ring them every couple of hours? Do I yeah. send them a WhatsApp? Do I, what right. do I do? Do I wait till they come to me? How do I know how the days go in? Yeah. And it's, it is, it's a completely different skill. A lot skill of it's too. trust as well.
0: Yeah. And activity and, you know, people it's, switch off or how yeah. productive are they at home? Everybody's different.
2: I mean, there's, there's no other industry for me that's changed more than recruitment in the last 10 years. Really? Massively. I mean, when I first started out in recruitment, it was an office in Manchester. Mm suit and tie mm, yeah if you forgot your tie our director had a, a draw full of rubbish ties that you had to wear <laughs> do you know what i mean it was like and it was it was like you didn't leave the office until you hit your kpis right you didn't leave the office until you hit your target if you did leave the office and you hadn't hit your target then you was dragged in the office the next morning and found out what was going on mm. and it was all it was very much a a, a cliche recruitment boil room mentality tough, tough place to work but A great place to learn Mm, unbelievable place to learn when I where I first started out in recruitment yeah Um, which a company called computer futures in Manchester right and it was an unreal place to learn how to do recruitment yeah but then I think if you took that into a workplace now where it was like well haven't you done two hours outbound or you've done this Or you've not done that people would crumble yeah and it's just the way things have gone now. to be honest with you and yeah I mean the way i still do things is very much there are kpis and targets that need to be hit but if they haven't been hit then it's not a sort of a, a massive deal it's well what can we do differently to make sure that we get to that point where we are hitting things yeah rather than
1: it's a grown-up conversation
2: yeah as to than, i'm in trouble in the morning yeah
1: <laughs> type of thing so but yeah
2: for me recruitment now there's not been a recruitment offices you're walking and they're all being suits yeah no,
1: agreed. Agreed. One <laughs> okay. last question for me, actually, around um, new tech, new technologies, because we do a lot in the low code space, and we've spoken in the past around whether the emergence of low code development platforms will will almost remove the need for loads of Java developers being sat at home or or in the office, wherever they may be. I just wanted your view on that. Whether you see that as a kind of disruption in the industry or not? There
2: um, There is more of emergence of it, yeah, but I think. Technology is, is constantly evolving anyway. And I think you'll all, there'll always be a need for somebody to be able to fix a line of code, even in a low-code environment, yeah. and and sort of identify bugs and stuff like that. I do think there'll always be a need for out-and-out out devs. Mm.
1: Um, well, someone's got to build the low-code development so, platform themselves. Exactly. But. So,
2: um, but I do think there'll be less of a need for teams of 30 JavaScript developers mm. doing the same thing because I think it will just be more of one actual senior JavaScript developer that'll do build the low code environment and then other people supporting off the back of it. But technology surprises you, have done it? I mean, the investment, the, the advancements in 10 years, even if you look at iPhones, yeah, how much they've yeah. sort of gone boom in 10 years and 10 years ago, nobody had an electric car mm-hmm. and how much they've come on. Yeah, So uh, the next 10 years really exciting in, Technology and and stuff like that. I mean I I think back to my first mobile phone it was like that big yeah <laughs> Do you know what I mean and people went, touch screen that'll yeah. never catch on oh yeah well, that worked didn't it so I think yeah the next the next ten years are really exciting yeah. with AI with obviously the stuff going on at SpaceX and stuff like that and and sort of the moon and Mars and all the rest of it and the technology that's going into that and I mean even if even in the local area and stuff if you look at some of the some of the businesses around here that are looking at sort of really cutting edge technologies and stuff and wanting to recruit for cutting edge technologies and I mean there's some massive businesses are doing loads of different things at the minute yeah. in Hull um, and that's just Hull and then start thinking sort of Leeds, Manchester, London, it's a proper hub for technology in yeah. the UK and it's, it's going to be interesting.
1: I agree I think Hull flies under the radar a little bit but some incredible businesses and incredible talent. So. Well, I won't be in business if they want. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Wonderful. Glenn, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you.